Hey guys, welcome to the Own Your Time podcast. Today I want to talk about how do you achieve big goals by chunking them into smaller actions that you can actually do on a daily basis. So the goal that I really want to talk about is when I was 20 years old and just left college, my goal was to raise about half a million dollars for a 107 unit uh, deal. And basically, that was an extremely intimidating number, right? 500,000 of anything is very hard to comprehend. Uh, my example of this would be try to picture 500,000 golf balls. It's pretty much impossible to do that. We have no concept of how much of an, how big of a number 500,000 is. We really can't perceive that in our mind. So what I had to do was focus on a number that I could understand and then just focus all my energy on that. So I, I started to think, okay, well, how many meetings is it going to take me to actually raise this amount of money? And I basically just set the commitment to get three meetings per week and then let's see. And now that I've you know, done it and looking back, it actually took me 50 meetings and eight yeses. So it's about 16% conversion rate. So you can work backwards from that metric and kind of figure out whatever it is that however many meetings you need. So if you actually want to do your first $1 million deal, it only takes you 31 meetings to raise 250,000, somewhere around 31. And that's really you know, just ends up being about five people to believe in you and about 31 meetings. And if you do three per week, that'll take you about 10 weeks, which is two and a half months. So if you start to slow it down and, and really focus on the smaller things and numbers that you can control, those big things become much less intimidating. Like I've just broken down how to do, how to raise money for your first $1 million deal in 10 weeks. And it really just comes down to getting three meetings per week um, and we're going to talk about how to get those meetings in a second here, but I just want to lay that out and, and get you guys engaged with the fact that this isn't that far away. It's really not that far away. I was 20 years old and I was able to do this in about four months by just getting three meetings per week. It took me about 16 weeks to get 50 meetings, basically four months, and only needed eight people to believe in me. And that's really all that it is. And when you think about, okay, I need to raise half a million dollars. That's such an intimidating thing to think about. But it's really, really not that difficult. And if you break it down into the amount of meetings that you need to have and the amount of people that need to say yes to you, it becomes pretty, um, not simple, not easy, no, by no means, um, because it's definitely hard to conduct these meetings. And we're going to talk about how to conduct them in a second here as well. But the thing is, it's so much more manageable than $500,000 being raised, especially at 20. I, I remember just being extremely frightened by, you know, what that was going to take and who the people I was going to have to convince. Right. So I was thinking that I was going to have to convince these, you know, big, big desk, uh, you know, mahogany desk, like billionaire type old men guys, but it really isn't. If you're only asking for 50,000 to hundred thousand, you end up talking to people that are very normal, very, very much like you. And it's really not as intimidating as you'd think. And if you break it down into just thinking, okay, I only need eight people to believe in me and I'm just going to meet with three people per week per week. And, if that takes me, I mean, if you met with three people every week for a year, you'd be blown away by the amount of connections that you would have after that. And it's really that simple. So how do you actually get these meetings? Well, let's break it down into daily and weekly tasks. So the first thing you're going to want to do on a daily basis is you're going to want to send three direct messages or emails every single day um, to someone either on bigger pockets, LinkedIn, or if you already have some sort of an email list, or you want to go look, maybe you're targeting a specific industry because you have experience. Let's say you're a a uh, software engineer or you work in tech, well, maybe you want to go and look at some of the bigger tech company websites and scrape their websites for emails and then just send those people cold emails. If that's a strategy you want to do, I've seen that be successful for people. For me, the thing that was most successful was DMing people on uh, bigger pockets and LinkedIn and just asking them if they wanted to meet with me and talk about how multifamily 
is such a great investment vehicle or, you know, just getting to know them and seeing how I could add value to their business. Um, just the introduction. And if you don't believe that, you know, direct messages make sense or they're a waste of time or whatever. Well, we actually, if you go back and watch one of my podcasts with Nick Amaluxon, he actually met his partner um, on bigger pockets through a direct message. And they ended up doing 200 units in Austin last year. So 200 units in one of the more expensive markets in the country, um, all from one partner that he met on bigger pockets. So it is a hundred percent doable and do not, um, I guess, discount the direct message method. If you send three a day, every day, you will be blown away by the amount of meetings that you get to have and the amount of connections that you make. It's, it's really that simple. So just sending direct messages to people and, um, and just asking, you know, if they want to talk about multifamily and how you can add value and maybe you have a strength. So maybe you are very good at underwriting and you want to talk about, you know, how, how you can benefit them with your skills. That's really what it is. You want to make it about them. And we're going to get into more of that in the conducting meeting section where we're going to talk about how do you actually conduct yourself to get results in those meetings and in any meeting in general where you don't want to be focused on you. But we'll get to that in a second. Let's break it down to the weekly tasks. So you're going to want to do one meetup per week. You want to go to at least one in-person meetup per week and exchange business cards with at least five people. And I know that during COVID-19, that's not possible, but you can go to webinars. And I would say go to at least one webinar per week and try to get the list of the attendees from either the host or just connect with the host himself. But when we are in normal times and there's not a pandemic, going to one meetup a week is a very easy thing to do. And then just not leaving until you've given your business card to at least five people. And then you have to follow up with those people. That's really what it's about. It's about the follow-up. The meetup is really just the opportunity to follow up. You're just setting the stage so that you can email them the next day. That's really, that's really what it's all about. It's all about that follow-up email. That's the most important part. And if you can follow up these people five a week after going to those meetups, you'll get at least one to two meetings from them. And then you just need to get about one to two meetings from the direct message strategy. So between these two strategies, you're going to set up at least three meetings per week. And that's your other weekly task is to have three meetings per week. So now that we've broken it down into the daily and weekly actions, and you know how to actually get these meetings, let's focus on how do you actually conduct yourself at these meetings? What do you say at these meetings? Well, as I alluded to earlier, number one, first and foremost, is it's not about you. And I think that if you're nervous to have investor meetings, it's because all of your focus and attention is on you. It's on how you're going to look, how you're going to come across, and you, 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 are you going to be smart enough, yada, yada. It's not about you. No one, it's really like, so this is something to learn across all businesses. It's not about you, and people don't care about you. They care about the result that you can give them. I'm going to say that again. People do not care about you. They care about the result that you can get them. That's just how we are. Like, for example, you don't necessarily care who's delivering you food as long as it's getting to you. Do you know what I mean? You don't care about the delivery driver. You don't want to know his back, background. You just want the pizza to get to your front door. You know, you don't need to ask the guy where he went to school or yada, yada, yada. And none of that matters. And I know that's an overly simple example, but it's the same thing with my coaching program. People don't necessarily care that I'm the coach. They want the result. They want to be able to do their first deal and become financially free. That's why people want to be doing coaching with me. If I was to focus all the coaching calls on my background and my credentials, then people wouldn't do coaching with me. The only reason they do it is because it's all focused on them. I'm trying to get them results. It's not about me. And it's the same thing with these investor meetings. You're not telling them how smart you are and how much you know about multifamily. You're telling them what multifamily can do for them. And now that we've established that, you have to actually say these 
these benefits in a specific order. Because if you walk out of the gates and you say, yeah, multifamily can make you a millionaire. It's the easiest thing in the world. Make a million dollars in a week. You know what I mean? People are going to be immediately put off. If you put, and if you lead with any income benefits about you making someone else richer or this vehicle making someone else richer, uh, it's really just a bad thing to open up with because people have their BS wall up and you have to kind of take that wall down and then you can start to layer in some income benefits. So what I do to start is I'll talk about the benefit of security in multifamily and I'll make, I try, cause I'm trying to make them feel safe so that they can, you know, accept some of the things that I'm going to say in the latter part of the conversation. But upfront, I'm going to say, you know, it's a real asset. It's secure. You're getting cash flow from a physical, tangible asset. That's a building. And then number two, people are always going to need a place to live. So the value of it is not going anywhere. People are always going to need a place to live. That's a fact. And then I'll even throw in some statistics about the demographic shift to a renter culture because millennials are not buying homes nearly as much as baby boomers were. And the, the whole American dream used to be a white picket fence and a house in the suburbs and you know owning your own home and this whole thing about that. That was the big thing. Like if you bought a house, that was huge. Like you get married and then you buy this house and you get your little white picket fence. And that, that was the American dream, but it's not that, that's not the dream anymore. Really. The dream is to live in a, in a cool apartment downtown near trendy restaurants and bars and like, have a good time. Like that's, that's what millennials want. That's what, you know, people my age want. That's what we all do. So it's a definite shift to renter culture. And also just home prices don't really make sense anymore at the, at the current moment. So it really is just a big shift to a renter culture. So not only are they secure in the sense that real estate has worked for a very long time, but there's also a demographic shift that's going to play in our favor as well. So there's the security aspect. And once you lay that foundation, now they're a little bit more willing to receive information, um, more information about, you know, big income benefits and things like that, but we'll slowly work into it. Right. So now we're disguising an income benefit number two with control. So we're going to lead and, and, and make sure we emphasize the word control. And we're going to talk about how we control the value of our multifamily assets because of the fact that purchase price is determined by net operational income divided by the cap rate. So we can control the NOI. And so therefore we can control the value that this building is going to be. Obviously we can't control the cap rate, but if we're investing in a market where the cap rate is not going to expand rapidly, um, which you know is a highly dense um, city with a lot of job growth and a lot of diversified industries that make up that job growth. So let's use Austin, Texas, for example, we have, not only do we have a bunch of tech companies coming in like Oracle, Google, Apple, you know, yada, 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 those are all great. But we also have the University of Texas, which is stable um, jobs as well. And we have, um, you know, Dell Children's Hospital, which is another great source of jobs. So it's a very diversified community. It's not just tech, even though tech is definitely contributing to the job growth and is awesome. There's also a very big backbone of education. I think the actual, the University of Texas is the largest employer, I believe. Um, so it's actually not even all tech. It's very diversified and it's a great market and you're not necessarily going to see a rapid cap rate expansion. So that's another thing to really emphasize if you're going to pitch a specific market is the fact that, you know, the one lever that we can't control in the purchase uh, price equation is cap rate. And if we're going to be in a, you know, a highly valuable market, that's just going to always be that because of intrinsic um, geographical location, then that's fantastic, you know, because Cap rate may expand, but not at a rapid rate that's going to just destroy the whole deal. And we're going to be conservative and predict that the cap rate is going to expand 10 basis points per year, which basically means if you buy at a five and a half cap and you're holding for five years, you're going to sell at a six cap because it's 10 basis points per year times five. That's going to turn out to be 0.5. 
5.5 plus 0.56. So that's going to be our, our, um, our assumption anyway. So we're predicting that it's going to be working against us and we're still going to make money. So we're talking about all of these control metrics, but then we're going to talk about, you know, maybe we'll even use an example. So the example that I typically use is a 50 unit building with a hundred thousand dollar NOI and a uh, five cap. So what I'll do is I'll say, okay, let's raise the rent a hundred dollars per door. So if you do that 50 times hundred, cause there's 50 doors, we're raising the rent a hundred dollars per door and it's going to be 12 months a year. So 50 times hundred times 12 ends up being 60,000. And assuming expenses stay the same, which they are in this um, example, because we're really just trying to show them the, the actual process. We're not trying to give them a very specific example because there's so many variables, but to really put it simply, right, you've raised the NOI 60,000. So now instead of a hundred thousand divided by 0 0.05, you're actually going to get 160,000 divided by 0 0.05. And if you do that math, you've gone from a $2 million building to a $3.2 million building by just raising the rent hundred dollars a door and boosting the NOI 60,000. So now we're actually, you know, we've made a profit of $1.2 million by just raising the rent hundred bucks a door. So that's the, that's the power and the, the, you know, that's the power of multifamily where if you just do a little bit on the income side, it actually ends up compounding quite a bit on the back end of value. And that's huge because now we can refinance that deal or we can sell that deal and, and pull out our 1.2 that we've created because of our good management play. And so that you have control of the fact that you're making money. And then now that we've, you know, kind of established the basics of multifamily and the power and the control and the security, now we're going to move into another, you know, the big income claim, which is that, you know, real estate has made more millionaires than all other industries combined. And, um, but in order, we don't just say that from our mouth. We, we want to cite a proven source. So we say multifamily is proven. And then we can cite um, Andrew Carnegie, who actually has a quote saying that 90% of all millionaires are created through real estate and that a wise man would invest in real estate. Essentially, that's the quote. You can even put his picture in the presentation because now you're linking what you're saying with what one of the wealthiest people in the world was saying. And there's a lot of other references that you can make to people who have cited real estate being a very impactful thing for them in their life. And um, real estate really is the best industry if you want to become a millionaire. And this is something that is a great income claim, but it's not the whole, uh, you know, if you've ever seen those YouTube ads lately where you have like e-commerce guys saying, I'll make you a millionaire in six days and all this stuff. It's insane. And you immediately, you see those videos and you can't wait for the skip button. You just want that skip button in five seconds because it's just so, um, you just know it's BS. So if you set them up with security control and then you show them that, Yes, real estate can make you a millionaire, but the thing is, it's not, not, it's not me saying that. It's a lot of really smart people who are very wealthy and who have done it. And real estate makes sense. It's been proven for several hundreds of years, and it's just a great investment. And we're, we're linking credibility to other people. And then now that we've done a lot of that, we've set the frame very well. Now we're going to talk about tax benefits because we've given them a lot of additional benefits, things that are going to add to their life. But now we want to talk about something that we're actually going to subtract, which is their amount of tax they have to pay to the government. So we've set them up, we've got them excited, but now we're going to give them a practical tax benefit tip about how they can actually save a lot of their taxes. And usually these people are going to be W-2, highly paid people. And, um, you know, they're going to be paying around fifty dollars to $100,000 in taxes a year, which is a painful thing, a painful check to write for sure. And um, if we can, you know, make them not have to write that check, they're going to be very grateful. And if you can help them to understand that, and we won't get into that on the podcast because that's a big conversation, the tax benefits of real estate, probably do my own a whole podcast on that. But if you're interested, look up depreciation 
cost segregation, and then bonus depreciation. Just Google those, watch some YouTube videos, um, and then I'll probably release a podcast on that um, all in itself at some point because that's a huge, huge conversation. But yeah, those are the three biggest tax um, cuts for people, and they're going to be able to take a passive loss against their active income, which depending upon their tax bracket is going to determine how much they can actually write off. But there's also a lot of other loopholes, like being a real estate professional, you know, maybe their wife or someone they file jointly with is a real estate professional, well, then they actually qualify as well. So there's just a big rabbit hole to go down in that sense. But it's something that if you, the more you know about it, the better you can have a conversation with this person, because then you can start asking questions like, you know, are you considered a real estate professional? Um, is your wife or is your husband a real estate professional? And you can start asking questions like that. And if they're, you know, stay at home um, husband or wife, well, then you can actually get their real estate license, become an, a real estate professional um, rather quickly. It only takes about 15 hours a week of real estate um, being in the real estate market and actively participating in it. And, um, and then you're actually considered a real estate professional and you get the access to bonus depreciation and other benefits, but definitely something you guys should look up because it's, it's definitely a great little rabbit hole to go down and something that's really important to understand. But I want to sum this up by saying there's only two things that matter. If you really want to do a big deal, you want to do your first multifamily syndication, you want to raise capital, there's only really two things to focus on, two things that matter. Number one is generating these investor meetings, and number two is conducting these in investor meetings. So I've given you a snippet of the sales script and, and the understanding of, of you know, how to lay this out, because it's really, obviously, there's more to it than the things that I've listed, you know, security control, proven, and tax benefits. But the thing is, the concept behind what I'm saying is, is the concept that flows throughout the whole conversation. It's you're setting people up, you're building a foundation, you're making them feel comfortable before you're just hitting them with big benefits. Cause nobody, I mean, you have to, you just understand, I mean, you understand how you perceive information, right? I very seldom see a YouTube ad about, you know, get rich quick or some guy in a Ferrari. And, and I'm like, Oh, that guy is cool. I want to buy from that guy. Like, I'm not even sure why they run those ads. I'm not sure who actually responds positively to that, but I've never once um, responded positively to those ads. So you have to set people up and make them feel comfortable and give them real tangible evidence that's, um, that they can accept in their mind. Don't just lead out with these grandiose statements. So that's really the big part. And you're educating too. It's a, it's a majority of focus on education. So that's how you're conducting. And then we've talked a lot about how to generate these meetings. Well, you know, three times a day, you're going to want to DM or email someone um, on BiggerPockets, LinkedIn, or direct email. And then you're going to want to go to one meetup per week or one webinar per week. And you're going to want to follow up for at least five people from that webinar or that meetup. Um, and then the last thing is your whole focus on a weekly basis is getting three meetings. If you can get three meetings per week, you're going to be in a very good position. And, um, and you really should be able to generate three meetings, um, especially if you're sending those DMs and you go into those meetups. So that's the end of this podcast. I think we're just going to leave it there. Yeah. Um, the only two things that matter are generating meetings and conducting meetings. So I hope that this has been helpful. And if you're thinking about raising a lot of money and it's been intimidating, well, just chunk it down into daily and weekly actions. And uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the podcast.